If you have your Bibles, uh, go with me to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 as we continue our new series um, titled Living with Grace and Peace. Uh, Living with Grace and Peace. Living with Grace and Peace. I've titled today's message, A Proven Faith. And I told you that 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7 is filled with various theological themes. And so there's no way in one message that I would be able to deal with it all. Last week we talked about our living hope in Jesus Christ and what our living hope does for us. And a couple of weeks back we introduced the message and the series. And so we're still in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-7. through 7. And then next week we're going to preach another message that comes right out of this passage because it's so deep in theology. And here's what's amazing. Peter seems to be, you know, the apostle and the disciple of the common man. He was a fisherman. He wasn't a learned man as far as uh, theological training. And he even says in his epistle here in 1 Peter that, that we know that some of Paul's writings are difficult to understand. Some of what Paul talked about or because Paul was a, was a Pharisee and he was trained at a high theological level and he spoke where maybe some of the common men couldn't understand him. But yet, Peter, though being a common man, being a fisherman, being just like anybody else, but yet he, he speaks in a simple way, but, but God uses him to fill what he's saying with deep theological truths that have deep implications for our lives and so I just find that amazing and astounding how people say well you got to go get trained in this and you got to be this and people need to be trained I watched a video today uh, I mean uh, this week of of someone from the past saying that the problem with Christians today is they're not trained to be able to share the gospel well I never got trained early on to share the gospel and I shared the my, my faith with my whole family and they all got saved and I didn't go through any training at that moment you don't need training to share the gospel you need the Holy Spirit living within your heart now training can be good and helpful but I think training becomes more mechanical and Peter is an example of what God can do with a man who yields his heart his heart to him a common man and we see some amazing things through his life so let's stand together first Peter Chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. We're reading it again, but it needs to be read again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope, which we talked about last week, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed 
We'll talk today about what a proven faith looks like. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for using a man like Peter. Though unlearned in theology like Paul, you used him to lay out some amazing biblical truths that we, we man, this, this bone here is something that we just, we keep chewing on and, it, and it's just so filled with, with nutrients spiritually and all these things that we need for life. So thank you for that and help us to live out a faith that's been proven. And I prayed in Christ's name. Amen, and you may be seated. <clears throat> a proven faith. Let me give you number one. Let's put that up here. So number one, a proven faith has its beginning in the new birth through Jesus Christ. Now, we spent a lot of time on the new birth last week, and that's God used that new birth to speak to Adela in a special way to help her to see that she needed to take this step in her life. And, and God worked in a mighty way. And today we got to experience her beautiful baptism. But here's what I want you to see. A proven faith. A faith that can be seen by all. That's what we mean by when we talk about a proven faith. It's when people look at your life, they know that you're a Christian. You, you don't hide it. They don't have to, you know, search with a magnifying glass for, for evidence of Christianity. You know, the old saying that if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? There should be ample evidence to convict us all. That's what a, a proven faith is. People should know that we're a Christian. They, you know, it's like the one guy who... who um, for years, he had a heart to reach his coworkers, and there was one in particular that he prayed for, and he wanted to reach, and he kept praying, God, give me the words to say. Give me the opportunity, Lord, to, um, to reach and to share with my friend about you. And, and so years went by, years went by. And, you know, this relationship had been de developed and cultivated, but years went by, 15, 20 years, finally one day in the break room. The friend, as they were eating lunch, asked the man I was talking about, said, Jimmy, there's something different about you. And Jimmy's like, oh my gosh, finally I'm going to get the opportunity to share my faith, and this was the opening that I've been praying for for 20 years. Jimmy, there's something different about you. I've been trying to figure it out all these years, and I think I've figured it out. I'm going to ask you, are you a vegetarian? <laughs> 20 years they spent together, and Jimmy was so timid that, that, that he never spoke. It's not just enough to live it, but, but we have to speak it. We, we, we have to acknowledge it in our lives. And, and poor old Jimmy, I'm sure he loved the Lord and he was a good Christian, but, but he just didn't get the information out. And, and so our faith needs to be proven. So you see, when Christ saves us, we experience the new birth. Now check this out. We get some things new. Don't you like new things? 
We ordered, we ordered a Bible for Michaela. Let me ask you something, Adela. Do you have a new Bible? Do you have a good Bible? You do, because if you don't, we'll get you one, okay? But we ordered a Bible for Michaela this week, and it came in. And Penny opened it and got it out of the package last night. You know, the first thing I did when I saw it, I saw the beautiful cover, and it was real pretty, and uh, green, I think, right? Green or blue? I think it's green. Yeah, there you go. Michaela's got it back over there, uh, over there, and it's a good study Bible. And you know the first thing I did? I smelled it. I like the smell of new Bibles. Huh? I don't buy new vehicles anymore. I buy slightly used, uh, sometimes buy junk, but it, 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 whatever. And, um, but, but you know what I'm talking about. You ever went sit in a brand new vehicle and that smell it's got? That leather smell and all that, and you're like, and oh man, you look good in that. Of course, you're gonna say that, and then you look at the price and you go, <laughs> no, and then you walk away. We like new things, don't we? Our faith at the be- has its beginnings in the new birth. When we get saved, we get a new heart. That God can mold, that God can, can, can squeeze and work. And, and, you know, the Bible says as we get older, and if we're not sensitive to God, and, and if we're not saved, that our hearts become seared with a hot iron, that, that sin no longer bothers us anymore. Little things don't bother us anymore, and that's why we can live a miserable life and die without joy and happiness. So when we get saved, we get a new birth uh, and a new heart. We get a new hope, as we talked about last week. Christ being our living hope. We get a new purpose. But even more than that, we get a brand new life. If anybody is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's one of my favorite scriptures. It is my favorite scripture and the scripture that I first learned when I first got saved. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. I was talking to Michaela this morning about baptism and and about her new life in Christ. And I said, you know, Michaela, the thing is, when I first got saved, something changed within me. And things began to bother me. That didn't bother me before. And, and she was saying, well, you know, I've got this peace and, and some things. And so on the positive side, there's a peace and there's a joy. And there's some beautiful things that happen. That only comes with a new birth and you get a new life. I became a new person the day I received Christ. And, 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 and guess what? And I'm growing every day. It's just like these new little babies that have been born around this place. I like it. Y'all keep having babies. (laughs) Keep having them, baby. (laughs) Keep on. Have a good marriage. Be fruitful and multiply, the Bible says. Have babies as the Lord leads you. That's good. You watch that baby and, man, you you hold that baby and and you, you just... It's amazing. And I'll tell you, as grandparents, we don't see our grandbabies every, every day. And it's amazing how a week goes by and you see them and you see something new about them the next time you see them. Something has changed a little bit. 
You notice it because they're growing and changing and growing and changing. And that's what happens with a Christian. We get a new life, and God's continuing to develop that life until he calls us home. That's what a proven faith looks like. We'll give you a second thing. A proven faith has an incorruptible inheritance. I know that sounds all deep and theological. I want to, give, I want to share with you what it means. It has an incorruptible inheritance. The word incorruptible, and you'll see this here in, um, in verse 4, it says, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power. We have an incorruptible inheritance. The word incorruptible means an imperishable inheritance. Listen to this. This is what it literally means. This inheritance that we have does not have within it the germs of death. And as I was studying this, I never, I never heard that phrase before, the germs of death. This inheritance that we have, this new life that we have, this Christianity that we have, does not have the germs of death. This body has the germs of death. It does. <laughs> he said, I don't know about you, Pastor, but I don't have the germs of death in me. Oh, yeah, you do. Yeah. You ever go to sleep at night and wake up in the morning? And talk to somebody before you wash your mouth out or brush your teeth. It's called the germs of death. Woo, man, you talk about knock you out. I don't even open my mouth because it about knocks me over. Just my own germs of death. I'm like, man, I got to get to that bathroom. I, I need some toothpaste and I need, I need some mouthwash. And oh, oh, that's just death. The germs of death, because you know why? It is the germs of death, because you just ate something that was dead. You did? Okay, anyway. Um, but our salvation, it's not like the flesh. It doesn't have the germs of death. It is incorruptible, which means that nothing, nothing can ruin it. You can't even ruin your own salvation. You can't. You say, well, pastor, I mean, I'm not saved, but I start living ungodly. And, well, it's possible that maybe what you had to begin with wasn't the new life. Maybe it was just religion that you got. But even if you are a Christian, I know people who are Christians who are not serving God like they should. I know people who are Christians that aren't living to their fullest potential and fulfilling the purpose that God has for their life. I, I know some. And, it, and, and we have Christians like that. And I'm going to show you in a little while. Those are, the, those are the ones whose works will be burned up at the judgment seat of Christ. But they're still saved, yet as through fire. So our, our salvation is incorruptible. It's an inheritance that we have that death can't even steal from us because Jesus overcame death through the resurrection. The Bible says it doesn't spoil or fade. Listen to this. It's like a flower. Um, 
But think about this. It's like a flower that never dies. You know what we call flowers when you go to buy them? There are two categories of, of plants and flowers. There's perennials. What are those? Somebody tell me. Huh? They just, they what? They come back every year. Um, like uh, azaleas. Azaleas, a perennial. Um, crepe myrtles, that's a perennial. Um, they bloom and they come back every year. An annual is just here for a little while and then gone. Now, I don't know if y'all know what periwinkles are, but I, the last time I planted periwinkles, probably eight years ago, and the seeds keep coming up. I still got wild periwinkles coming up all over the place. And I'm like, I couldn't keep them alive when I, when I planted them myself, and now they come. But anyway, but, but flowers, annuals, they die off. The inheritance we have is like a beautiful flower. That blooms 24-7 and can never be corrupted by circumstance, by weather, by storms. Number three, a proven faith, listen to this, is energized and protected by God's power. A proven faith is energized and protected by God's power. Bible says here in verse 5, through faith, or shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Through faith or shielded by God's power. The word shielded means to be protected. Literally means to be reserved and kept. The inheritance is in security beyond risk, out of the reach of Satan, though we, for whom it is reserved, are still in the midst of dangers. We're living in a life where we know the game plan of the enemy. We know it. John chapter 8 tells us, For the thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. So we're living in a danger zone in the world that we're living in. And the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to kill our bodies. He comes to steal our testimonies. He comes to accuse us of things. He is the enemy. He comes to steal our children. He wants to steal our joy and to steal our salvation, but he can't. Because our salvation and what we have is protected and shielded by our God, even though we live in the midst of a dangerous world. You see, believers are not kept by their own power, but by the power of God. Our faith in Christ has so united us to him that his power now guards us and guides us. We are not kept by our strength, but by His faithfulness. And He will keep us until it is all made right. I'm kept by Him for all of eternity. In the same way, 
that biologically it's impossible for me to say that my biological father and mother are not my biological father and mother. It's impossible. We all have a biological father and mother. And, and we come from their genes. We come from them. And in the same way, it is impossible to ever be separated from your father, your heavenly father. It can't happen. You belong to him. And our salvation is protected and energized. I say energized because he says here, through faith, we're shielded by God's power. Listen to this, y'all. You and I do not have the ability to live the Christian life. I don't have the ability, listen, to overcome sexual temptation in my own strength. I don't have the ability in my own strength to say no to a core's light. I don't have the ability in my own strength to say no to bitterness and hatred. I don't. Because my flesh is selfish. And my flesh says, I want, do for me, make me feel good, take care of me. It's all about me. What's in it for me? What's good for me? But you see, now that I'm a Christian, I have a power within me that's indescribable. I can try to describe him, but I can't. Preachers have tried for, for millennium and can't. We can tell you that he is the rose of Sharon and the uh, lily of the valley and the bright and morning star. We can tell you that he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. We can tell you that he is the one who's washed our sins away. We can tell you how awesome and great he is, but we really can't describe him as the, as the old African-American preacher would say, I wish I could describe him for you, but I just can't. And yet he's giving some pretty descriptive phrases, but he's saying these don't even touch who he is. I don't have the ability on my own but with Christ greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world when you join yourself to Jesus you join yourself to victory now now when sexual temptation comes my way I can say get thee behind me Satan and the Bible gives me the absolute uh, 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 path and 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 um, and answer to what I need to do in that. The Bible says I don't by faith try to overcome it. Uh, I don't try to fight against it. I need to flee from it. 
That's what the Bible says. And God quickens my heart and my feet to run like Joseph away from the temptation and get away from it. Whereas my flesh would stay, say, I want to stay. I want some of that. But God comes and he says, no, you can't have some of that. And you don't need some of that. It will destroy you like an ox to the slaughter. So run, my boy. Run into the arms of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit of God does. And that's what God does for you. He energizes you. He energizes me to do things that we couldn't do on our own and in our flesh. That's the kind of salvation we have. That's a proven faith. God's power. Wow. You know what God's power does, too? Listen. The last drink I had, the last time I drank, I threw my guts up and I was sick for three days. You say, did you have a hangover? No, I had a three-day over, whatever that is. And I say, and I wasn't saved then, but I said, God, if you ever let my stomach feel normal again, I promise I won't drink ever again. I didn't mean it. But little did I know that the Holy Spirit was already working in me. And just a few weeks later, I got saved. Amen. And so when I, I say it was the last drink I had, but I took a sip of a long neck, a Coors Light long neck that my dad gave me at my 18th birthday. You got to understand, back in the day, 18, you were legal to drink. So surprise birthday party. Here, son, walked into the door, and dad said, you can drink now, son. And I took a sip, and it tasted like absolute vomit. Right. What is that? Sipped it again. Oh, I poured it down. Give me another one. Oh, 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 And I poured it down, and everybody's looking at me like you're crazy. And I looked at Penny, and I said, uh, something happened to me. See, 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 on February 12th, I got saved. Didn't fully understand it. But that's the night I called out to God, and he saved me. This was February 18th. And a couple of days, uh, another day or two later, it all came clear to me what had happened. I looked at her and I said, I need to go talk to somebody over there at your church because something's going on. I couldn't do that on my own. And now when I smell alcohol, I'm, I'm just saying, for, for me, when I smell, smell alcohol, it makes me want to vomit. I couldn't do that for myself. Only God could do it for me. Energize. Say, what about those things that people can't see, like unforgiveness and bitterness? I'll be honest with you. You can see bitterness. I saw somebody yesterday, and some of you might know what I'm talking about. A very few of you. I'm looking at you, Miss C. You know what I'm talking about. We saw somebody with some serious bitterness yesterday. You could see it in their heart. It was all over them. But a lot of things you can't see. That unforgiveness and all of that. I don't have the power to cancel the debt when somebody's wronged me. I'm a Cajun. We, get, we, we don't get even. We, we, we go above getting even. We blow things up. We cut you. My name is Sheremy, and it's always said when you know. When I was growing up as a little boy, I'd say my my, my dad or grandpa would introduce me to say, "Hey, this is um, you know, this is uh, this is Ed Ogeron." So I met Ed, Ed Ogeron, Coach O's dad, the coach of LSU. Is that this is Ed Ogeron? Uh, 
Corey and, uh, well, hi, Mr. Ogeron. Um, my name is Corey Sheremy. Oh, uh, Sheremy. <laughs> Let me check your sock. Where's that knife at? Uh-huh. My dad said, well, we're known for always having a knife, a knife in our sock. I said, why would you keep it in your sock? Because we stab people in the back. I don't have the ability. I grew up in a neighborhood. Listen to this. In Louisiana, where I grew up, Bayou Lafourche, you've got Bayou Lafourche, it's a tributary of the Mississippi River. It goes down for miles and miles and miles and dumps into the Gulf of Mexico at Sabine Pass down there by Port Fouchon. And the parish, which is a, a county, Louisiana doesn't have counties, it has parishes with the Catholic influence, runs north and south primarily. East and west is, is not very wide. It's surrounded by water. It has levees and, and blow your mind sometimes when you're standing in your backyard and you see a boat above your head. Okay? And you have streets that go one way. You go down the street and there's no way out. You got to go turn in somebody's driveway and you come out. They call it the longest street in America. And they say that down in Golden Meadow, where, where I went to junior high and where my dad went to high school and where my, my family's from, you can tell a neighbor something. And if you have a family member living in Thibodeau, which is an hour drive north, that you can just go from front yard to 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 front yard, to front yard and the message will get there. Now, no telling what it'll mean by that time, but anyway, it'll get there. I grew up in a community like that where people were self-sufficient, fishermen, oil field workers. And Cajuns will love you to death, but if you do them wrong, you're their mortal enemies until the day they die, and they will spend a lot of effort to get back at you. And they'll give it to you as good as you gave it to them, and if not, more. And I grew up in a, in a neighborhood that was basically owned by by one family and we bought a house that that family had built and we soon found out that we were the outsiders in that little neighborhood that little clan there they poisoned our dogs one night i, I will say our dogs did bark a lot and, and we shouldn't have poisoned we should have shot them but anyway uh no just kidding but uh they did a lot to us and we got real bitter at them so when the old man and his wife would leave to go shrimping, I would throw tomatoes. I would shoot my pellet gun at his house. He had, on their house, they had, it was like, like, a, like a slate. Um, you know how we use hardy plank or hardy board today for your siding? It was like a slate siding. And, and those things could be like Frisbees. You could throw them. I mean, they were heavy. You could kill somebody if you hit, them, hit somebody with it. Man, but I would try to shoot with my pellet gun those slates and crack them on their house. And I'll never forget one day. They came home. I saw the boat come up, tie up to their dock. They got out. I was 14, 15 years old. And uh, I saw them walking. And I couldn't wait. I was, I was hiding behind a tree. And they walked up to their house, and their front door was just rotten tomatoes, rotten potatoes, slates cracked everywhere. I did that. 
See, when I was a kid, I got into an argument with their grandson. He stole my football, and I, I ran over there to get the football. And when I did, his grandmother said, oh, Corey's causing all the problems. She took a stick out, and she blistered me from here to my head. I mean, I had whelps everywhere. I mean, she wasn't even a family member. And my mama wanted to kill her. And her husband told my daddy, said, your mama, your wife is like a pimaruti, a hot cooked pepper. We hated them. And all I want to do is evil to them. One time he was walking on the side of the road and there was a big pothole. You know, there's a lot of potholes in Louisiana. It was full of water. I hit it just on purpose. He threw a bunch of rocks, cracked our window. The kind of life we had. I say all that to say this. I got saved. Just a few, uh, a few months later, a year, year later, God called me to preach. And there was some unfinished business before I left. And God said, you need to go and knock on their door and confess to them and seek their forgiveness. And I told my mom and daddy that. And my mom and dad weren't saved yet. And, and mom and dad said, what all that they've done to you? I said, yeah, but I've done some stuff to them. I said, Mama, I can't help myself. It's what I've got to do. And so I went, energized by the power of God, and knocked on that door. And when the lady opened up the door and she saw me, she was, oh, my gosh. And I said, I, I come in peace. And I explained to them what happened in my heart and why I was here. And I hugged them and I told them I was sorry. I said, I'm the one who, they said, ah, we figured. And brought peace to those relationships. I couldn't do that on my own. I hated those people. But when I got saved, and the love and the kindness of my Lord Jesus invaded my heart, it changed everything. It energized me to live differently, to be different, to show compassion, to offer forgiveness. I couldn't do that on my own. Now, one last thing here. Number four. A proven faith, listen, is a genuine, imperishable faith, and it will, it will be rewarded. It is a genuine, a proven faith is genuine. It's real. Verse 7 says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise glory and honor when christ jesus is revealed a proven faith is a genuine faith it's it's real it, it, it's it's not mechanical it it's not canned and boxed and 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 produced it's organic it's it's the holy spirit living within you and working through you and changing you uh, you're, you're, you're a real human being. You, you touch people. You hug people. You have compassion for people. Your faith is genuine. It's, it's real. You're authentic. You're not just some Christian or some, some church member that claims to be a Christian. And you dress up and you come to church and you act good on the outside. And, and, and it's, called, uh, it's called legalism. You, you try to make your, your, your outside look good to cover up the decay on the inside. It's an outside in religion but christianity is inside out christianity starts in the heart it changes you from the inside out it's genuine it's real it's in your heart 
What do we say about somebody that, that's real and genuine in the way they live? We say, man, that person's got a heart. Well, that's what we have in a proven faith. It's genuine, real, imperishable, and it will be rewarded. Warren Wiersbe says this, Just as the assayer tests the gold to see if it is pure gold or counterfeit, so the trials of life test our faith to prove its sincerity. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Too many professing Christians have a false faith. It's not genuine. And this will be revealed in the trials of life. The seed that fell on shallow soil produced rootless plants, and the plants died when the sun came up. The sun in the parable represents tribulation or persecution. The person who abandons his faith when the going gets tough is only proving that he really had no faith to begin with. He had no faith at all. So it's genuine. Do you have a genuine faith? And it will be rewarded. Look at what 1 Corinthians says. This is, this is the last thing here. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, or wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames, yet as through the fire. So what we have, if it's genuine and real, it will be rewarded. Even the Christian that isn't living like they should, That isn't fulfilling their full potential. Maybe isn't obeying God like they should, but they're Christians. They belong to Him. Their DNA is Christ in them. All they'll have to show at the rewards banquet is wood, hay, and stubble. And this holy fire will come at the judgment seat of Christ, and it will burn that stuff up, and there'll be nothing left. But the gold... The precious gems represent the person of a genuine faith. And what they've done is imperishable. It's an inheritance that they have in heaven. And in the fire, it will be revealed that what they did for Christ, their life's work, wasn't burned up. And now they have something to offer Jesus. Not that we earn our salvation or pay for our salvation, because we don't. Because it says, those who have nothing will still be saved, yet as through fire. But you and I will have an opportunity to say, here's my life works. And there's a group called Casting Crowns, a gospel group. And they get that from Revelation where it says that from this metal and all these things, crowns will be made, the crown of life and the crown of salvation. And we will 
take these crowns and we'll cast them and lay them at the feet of Jesus and say, I'm not worthy, but I give them to you, Jesus. This is my life's work for you because of what you've done for me. I couldn't do anything more, and I know I couldn't earn your salvation and that you lived in me, but because of what you did for me, I wanted to live a real life, a genuine faith, and here's my life work, and God, this is all I have to offer to you. Here it is. It's genuine and real, and it's imperishable. Some of the things that you do in private for the glory of God will be rewarded one day. One day. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to myself when I say this now. Not everything we do has to go on so social media. I, I put things on social media, and sometimes I, I regret it. Sometimes I'm like, oh, gosh, I shouldn't put that. Somebody's going to think this or that or whatever. Maybe I'm doing the sawdust thing where I'm looking at the sawdust in somebody's eye, and I need to take the plank out of my own. But, um, you know, sometimes there are certain people Anytime they do anything for God, they have to post it up there and show. And you can, God forgive me, God help me, help me, no. And sometimes it, it, it seems as though they're wanting to say, look at me. Now, listen to what I'm saying. But you can tell someone who posts something on there who's, who's wanting God to get the glory. It's imperishable. Whether anybody knows it or not, it's imperishable. There was a brother yesterday on Twitter, somebody who's a pastor in the Atlanta area, and there's a little schism going on. I'm just being honest with you. You don't know this because you don't care about it, and I really don't care about it either because you're going to work every day. You're, you're, you're struggling with a rebellious teenager. You're, you're, you're struggling to make payments on things. You're, you know... You, you got a, a rough situation at work. We, you know, we, we just have real life that's happening to us. We can't care about some squabble that some theological guys are having with each other. But, but there's a little bit of theological things going on right now. You got a group in the Southern Baptist Convention that we call the woke group. Woke. In other words, they want to apologize for everything. And they're looking at life more through a social lens rather than a spiritual lens. Then you got the rest of us, some of us who want to see it through a spiritual lens. Like I've said before, racism is taken care of when a man or woman gives his or her heart to Christ. And you say, well, I know so-and-so, they can be a Christian, but they're the biggest racist ever. Well, they don't know the Christ that I know because Christ erases all of that. It's the content of a man's heart or a woman's heart. It's what God sees on the inside, not on the outside. There's no such thing as one race better than another. That's just, it's disgusting. makes me want to vomit, to be honest with you. Racism of any kind. All people are precious in His sight. Red, yellow, black, and white. Jesus loves the little children. But you have, so, so there's a group here that's made up the conservative network in the Southern Baptist Convention, which I, I, I agree with what they believe. 
Well, a guy over here who's also conservative, but he's kind of in the wokeness side, he posted something yesterday. And basically, was going after those guys over here and saying this. Those of you over there, you can say all what you want. But tell me who you led to Jesus today. I led so-and-so to Jesus yesterday. And I'm like, what in the world? My boat's a prettier boat than your boat. That's what he's saying. So you would use that? So you're just winning people to Jesus so you can tell people how many people you won to Jesus? Huh? Do you not really care? That a person was lost, and I believe he does. But that's not the spirit that we're to have. Our faith is genuine. It's imperishable. And God sees what happens. And God will reward us. So that we can take that reward and present it to Jesus. That's what it's all about. It's kingdom work. We're all in this together. Now listen to me. I'm, I'm, I'm just about done here. <laughs> and I know what you mean when you say this, and I appreciate it. Keep it coming because it's an encouragement. You know, encouragement fuels enthusiasm. So I've had some of you say, man, like Brother Bill told me this two weeks ago when I, when I, uh, when I had taken... A double dose I realized I didn't know it then but I taken a double dose of cough medicine one was pill version the other was was the liquid version and I took it the night before and man it took me 24 hours to get it out of my system and I was just like loopy and he told me he came after church and he said brother Corey he said listen I don't know what you drank last night but whatever you did drink it again next week that's a good sermon Poor old Gerald, I don't want, but Gerald's standing right there. Gerald says, he looks, he goes, well, ain't nobody ever told me that on a, about something I drank Saturday night. <laughs> hey, right, we're just being real, right? But here's the thing. But the thing about that is this. See, I'm not trying to outdo what I did last week. I just want to be faithful to what God's given me today. And I want it to be genuine and real and let God just take care of the rest. Doesn't matter to me. So, a proven faith is genuine. It's real. But it's imperishable. And it will be rewarded by God. So, old Christian, when you think nobody sees, when you're doing it for the right reasons, God sees, and He knows. And that's not our ultimate, listen, that's not why we do it. We don't do it for reward. We do it out of obedience. We do it out of want to. We do it out of the fact that I get to serve God. I can serve Him. I'll never apologize for asking people to step up and serve God. You get to serve the King of Kings, man. The King of Kings. <laughs> if Tim Tebow sent me an email 
and said, Brother Corey, I'll come and speak at your church. I don't want a love offering. I don't want any of that. Here's all I want. I want people after church to serve me. We would be tripping over ourselves to see who could serve him. We would be. You say, I don't know about that. Oh, I know about that. We had him here years ago for a flag football game. He came with Coach Urban Meyer, and we had people, and I was one of them, tripping over ourselves to get a picture with him. I was one of them. I had to act like I wanted my people to go first, but deep inside of me, I was like, dang, I just want to run them all down and bull them over and go, hey, Tim, talk to me. How much more should we serve Jesus, the King of the universe? Proven faith, living with grace and peace. That's what a proven faith looks like, real and genuine. Is it in you? Do you care? Does it matter? Does serving Him matter to you? It should. Let's stand together, everybody. Let's bow in an attitude of prayer, spirit of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to us today through music, through your word. Thank you that Some of us may not believe or, or even think that our faith is strong enough. But what we don't realize, it's already proven. It's genuine. It's real. We have this inheritance. It started in the new birth. It's powered and energized by your Spirit. Help us, Father, to live that way this week. Help us to obey you when we get into work Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever day it comes. And boy, we want to blow up. Or when that temptation to get alone by ourselves and to look at something we shouldn't look at comes. Help us to know that our faith is energized and powered by God. So folks, with our eyes closed and just right here, right, right where we are, I sense that the Lord is working in our fellowship and He has been. He always is, even when we can't see it, but we can see it. I mean, we saw two people get baptized today. That's evidence of what God's doing. We're seeing people say, hey, I want to be a part of this church and this is where I want to sow my life where God has me. We're seeing it. We're seeing people being so generous. We're seeing people step up and do things that they've never done before. So what about you? What is God doing in your heart today? And how do you want to respond to Him? So maybe like Adela last week or Mr. Clark last week, To say, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. What you're feeling right now is the Holy Spirit. Mr. Clark told me he felt the Holy Spirit last week just pulling him down this aisle. What about you?
So, Father, this is your time and your moment. Help us to obey you and to follow you. And our faith would be proven and genuine. And I pray in Christ's name, amen. This is our invitation as our team leads us.